Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Mom? Luke? What are you doing? I'm making homemade ice cream with my almond milk in my new ice cream maker. Okay. (laughs) So I wanted to give you a heads up about something that's coming up on 30 Pop. Okay. So this week, you know, I'm going to be out of town. I'm traveling and I just really need to take a break for next week's episode. Uh I need to tell you that because it's the week that When Harry Met Sally came out. (gasps) Are you not going to do Harry and Sally? (laughs) Harry and Sally. I'm going to. So the week after next, I'm going to release a much longer episode covering two weeks. But I just don't want to have to worry about trying to record while I'm traveling. So I just wanted to give you a heads up. Well, just don't skip them. I definitely won't skip them. Okay, good. I know you won't be there, but I do want you to remember, because there won't be another episode before this happens, that next Tuesday, the 16th, is our next 30 Pop Trivia Night at Cafeza. How fun. Yes. I wish you lived closer. I know, but we can talk about that another time. Okay. All right. Well, I love you. I love you, too. I'll talk to you soon. Enjoy your ice cream. Okay. Thanks. Bye, Mom. Bye-bye. From Milieu Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Bronner. This is Season 1, Episode 21, Yada, Yada, Yada. Today, we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, July 8th, 1989. Hello, friends, and welcome once again to 30 Pop. Can I just say how much I have loved looking back at the summer of 1989? So many huge things happening in pop culture week after week after week. In the movie world, we've already had Indiana Jones, Ghostbusters, and Karate Kid sequels, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and Tim Burton's Batman. And there's still so much to come before the summer wraps up. 30 years ago this week, Hollywood gave us the cult classic Weekend at Bernie's, as well as the second film in the Lethal Weapon franchise with Mel Gibson and Danny Glover, which would be the top grossing film at the box office for the next few weeks. In sports, there were a couple of records broken this week, both on July 5th. First, Pittsburgh Pirate left fielder Barry Bonds hit a home run that earned him and his father, former San Francisco Giants right fielder Bobby Bonds, the record for the most homers for a father-son duo with 408. And baseball legend Mark McGuire hit the 100th home run of his career, making him the fastest to ever hit that milestone in career at-bats with 1,400, a record that has since been demolished. If you only knew how little I care about baseball. Anyway. The number one album and single in the country this week in 1989 belonged to, yes, you guessed it, Fine Young Cannibals. With their album, The Raw and the Cooked, and their single, Good Thing. And finally, after weeks of telling you I'd cover this album on the show, the time has come. I sat down this past week with one of my favorite people in the city of Houston, my friend Mason, who, while he experienced exactly zero days of the 1980s, is a huge fan of 80s pop culture and this album in particular. I'm not such a fan of this record. So I invited Mason to come in for a few minutes and try to change my mind. 
Mason, welcome to 30 Pop. So glad to have you on today. I'm glad to be here. So you are here. I've been saying for weeks that I had a friend coming. I was waiting. We've both been traveling. We've had, you know, conflicting schedules, but I've had a friend coming who loves fine young cannibals, the raw and the cooked. Absolutely. It's one of my favorites. And I do not understand. (laughs) So I understand a love for the two big singles off this record. She drives me crazy and good thing. The record released like late 88 or early 89, but for whatever reason in June of 89, probably the release of some big single, it just started dominating the charts. And I think it's six or seven weeks of being the number one album in the country. Mm-hmm. And this week, 30 years ago, it also had the number one single in the country with Good Thing. Those are the only two Fine Young Cannibal songs that I really, really recognize or that I remotely like. <laughs> I think part of it for me, like with Good Thing in particular, is the degree to which the lead singer sounds like Peter Griffin from Family Guy. You cannot deny he sounds like Peter Griffin. Uh, That had not entered my mind until this It may change the way you hear this album forever. I don't think so, but okay. So I want (laughs) to offer you the opportunity to change my mind about Fine Young Cannibals, The Raw and the Cooked. Go. Okay. I think the first thing you have to think about with this album is that... It's driven by two very distinct things. The first thing is the engineering of the music. Okay. I think it's done by, I want to say his name is David Z, but basically he was one of Prince's like main producers. Respect that. And they wanted to have a sound that was like as eclectic as Prince that also kind of touched on Roland Giff's like, you know, African-American background. He came from Seoul. He came from a lot of Motown kind of styles. He's the lead singer? Yeah. And okay. they're British. And so it's kind of funny. It's like the Rolling Stones, like they have like put American music on this pedestal and he wants to achieve that with the modern electronic kind of sound. And that's what Prince was kind of touching on okay. during this time. And so they got this new producer and he had also produced, I want to say Purple Rain. Really? So yeah. Okay. And if you think about Purple Rain, like in just the way that that album is put together, the, all the styles of music yeah. in it. There's a lot of similarity in this album uh, <laughs> compared to the Purple Rain. Okay, you're at least changing the way that I will listen to the album. You have to take it more seriously than not. Because I will say, when you first listen to this album, it kind of feels all over the place. Yeah. It sort of feels like there's this style and this style and this style. So yeah, the first thing I think is you want to think about soul. You want to think about Motown. You want to think about those styles. Okay. And then the other part I want you to think about is <laughs> in Britain... One of the biggest styles of music in the 80s that was selling like crazy is dance, electronic, pop, new wave. Like that was the main market. So if you're taking these two very (laughs) distinct styles, one that sort of originates from America and one that originates more from UK and Britain, and you combine those together, that's what this album is. That's Fine Young Cannibals. Absolutely. So what I remember most about, especially She Drives Me Crazy, is the music video. I remember thinking the music video was so (laughs) strange as a kid. That's what I really, really remember. And I remember the guys, there's only two guys, right? It's three, I think. There's three guys, okay. I just remember them being really odd looking. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and I just and the name threw me off like fine young cannibals right. I just I couldn't that's why on the cover it's abbreviated it's FYC, yeah, FYC yeah. yeah yeah it's because they didn't want the audience to be like oh cannibals my god especially on an album that. called the raw and the cooked right like, that's just <laughs> disturbing I think that's a literary reference though I'm pretty sure okay I'm sure else. so how did you're because you're not even 30 years old no I'm a millennial like hardcore millennial how too. did you get into this album 
Okay, so my best friend, he loved this song called I'm Not the Man I Used to Be, okay? And that song is the third on the album. And for the longest time, I thought it was by Marvin Gaye. Like, I just never really, really looked at who it was by on this mix CD. And so when I found out it was them, I'm like, oh, they seem cool. And then I saw the first song, She Drives Me Crazy. And I'm like, whoa, that's on the same album. And what's neat about I'm Not the Man I Used to Be is that that's sampled from a James Brown track. Mm -hmm. And it's just looped. Another thing that's incredible is that that wasn't some producer's idea. That was their idea. So they have this really rich, like, understanding and history of music. Like, they understand music really well as a band. And what I find really attractive about this band, too, is that the lead singer is not the front men of this band. They're one collective group. Mm -hmm. And at this time in American music, the fact that he is black with his group mm -hmm. is original. And that is different um, at this time in history. Yeah. And so I always found that interesting, that they were one unit. And then when they disbanded it so he could have his own solo thing, but he always believed in the, the unity of the group. But anyway, I'm not the man I used to be. That song's incredible. And That's it does remind me of Marvin Gaye, especially in his later career. I'm kind of like an R&B junkie, grew up on yeah. R&B, I love it, but I've never thought about this through that lens because that's usually the song where I stop listening, where I'm just like, what happened after those first two songs? That, <laughs> And so I'm going to revisit it with that in mind, that sort of soul mm -hmm. piece in mind. But I think you're right. Like I think when I look at the 70s, you've got tons of really great R&B. The 80s, we start, you know, hip hop starts really sort of finding its footing. The drum machine. The drum machine, yeah, the 808, everything. But R&B went that direction. Like it yeah. went away from live instrumentation and sort of followed like behind. Houston. Absolutely. Yeah, and even like New Edition, who mm -hmm. all ended up there was rap, was a big part of what they yes. were doing. And so I never thought about this as like a pop R&B album. I just thought of it as like an electronic pop album. And yeah. and maybe not even that electronic. Like there's like live instruments there on are this some, record. The weirdest song on this album is Don't Look Back. Because it sounds like a Tom Petty song. Like, it literally sounds like they are switching everything they've done on the album up till this point to, like, do this, like, Tom Petty-esque kind of uh, Bruce Springsteen, Brian Adams kind of song. Okay. And then they come back to the electronic, funk, soul-like style. So I will say there's no consistency on this album. It just jumps around everywhere. But what is interesting is that I think it hits every kind of major style of pop at this era, in this time period. Hmm. So I don't know. It's, it's, it Meaning it's got like rock elements. It's uh, got... Absolutely. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And I, so I can't even say, honestly, it's electronic pop or it's soul, R&B, like electronic. It really isn't defined by one genre. It's just sort of pure pop at this point, like in <laughs> retrospect. You yeah, know what I mean? Like that's absolutely. how it's aged. That's how it's seen. Uh, especially with She Drives Me Crazy. Yeah, that song, huge. Uh, yeah, And absolutely. I still love that song. That song is perfect. I it's, think the engineering of that song is incredible. So most people, when they argue for an album, they're like, you got to look past the main singles because you're tired of the singles and here's all the deep cuts that are so good. But that single still holds up. I mean, it is just so good. It's so good. It's that drum beat. That yep, was, that's exactly right. It's a hollowed out snare and a ruler. And he just like kept recording it. And I think he put the microphone on top and the speaker below. So the reverb of it created this like mm -hmm. crashing sound and then... That's what became... It is like the best drum sound. That's so good. And speakers back then weren't focused on bass like mm -hmm. they are now. Speakers back then were more treble heavy. And so the, creating this like sort of like 
imaginary feeling that you're feeling the drum beat mm-hmm. when you're only hearing the snare. It's this weird element. I don't hmm. know. Like it feels like a bigger sound than it actually is. I think the other struggle that I always had with Fine Young Cannibals in general is that everything is so falsetto. Yeah. And like there's very <laughs> few vocalists who I just love that they do tons of falsetto. I think Justin Timberlake pulls it off, but I only think that because mm-hmm. Michael Jackson pulled it off. And right. so there are very few artists outside of those that the always being falsetto really resonates for me, especially over the last like five or six years, there's just been tons of singer songwriters who just do falsetto wears me out. But what I will say is with this record, same thing. I never thought about that falsetto through the lens of soul where, where I think it sort of belongs and it really, really works. And so I can't say that you've changed my mind about the (laughs) album. I will say that I will listen to it again this week through the lens of that sort of soul influence. Yeah. And I'll let folks know next week what I think. Yeah. One more thing. I really don't think you should ever think of this album as trying to tell one message. Mm. All the songs are a lot about like love and stuff, mm-hmm. but I honestly think every single song could be a standalone single. And mm. if you think about it in that way and what they're trying to accomplish in that single, I think it can change your mind. Really? Yes. Okay, I'm going to revisit. I would invite folks to do the same and email me at 30poppodcast at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of this album, if you agree with Mason or if you agree with me that it sounds like Peter Griffin. So, Mason, (laughs) such a joy to have you on. I know you, while you are not yet 30, I know that you have a deep appreciation for all things 80s, and so I look forward to having you back very, very soon. I hope so. Well, like I said, he's at least made it so that I'll hear the album with different ears. I'll let you know if I actually come around to appreciate it. But in the meantime, be sure to follow the 30 Pop Mixtape playlist on Apple Music and Spotify, where for at least the next week, Good Thing will hold the number one spot. Moving on, there was another major event on July 5th, 1989, this one in the world of television. 30 years ago this week was the premiere of the first and only show about nothing. Seinfeld. Believe it or not, I actually remember watching the night it debuted, and in my underdeveloped nine-year-old sense of humor, I absolutely did not get it. But thankfully, I grew into a deep love for this show, its characters, and its particular style of comedy. It's actually one of the very few laugh track sitcoms that I can still enjoy today. But, while I'm a fan, I'm not the biggest fan I know. I reached out on social media this week asking who thought they might be the biggest Seinfeld fan I know, and I got a few convincing responses. The first, from my friend Vinny and her cousin Laura. Vinny and Laura, welcome to 30 Pop. So glad to have you on. Happy to be here. So let me hear sort of y'all's history with the show. Were y'all fans like from day one? I would say as close to day one as we could because we were probably maybe what Vinny like... 11 when it came out. It was shortly thereafter because I would say some of my favorite episodes are those early ones that we would quote and laugh about. For sure. So we were always watching and quoting and making up our own ideas for what they should do or whatever. It's true. Even today, I still incorporate it into my 
every day and think of Vinny all the time because we did it from the time it came on and even now, all these 30 years later. Yes. So what do you think it was about this show that makes it so special? I think we liked observing people and maybe we were kind of jerks too because we like to laugh at people also. (laughs) Just like the most basic things we would find really funny and then look at how many times other people did them. And uh, I don't know, that was it for me. Yeah, I think too, like, it's nice to have a show that's like, observant and funny, but it's not like you have to follow a plot like every week, like, oh, did they get together? What happened? I missed an episode and I can't jump back in. You can just watch it and like they're all standalone. And it still holds up in sort of that way. Like if I'm just like, I mean, I, I would never flip channels because I don't have TV like that anymore. But if I were and it was on, I'm going to watch it. It doesn't matter where they are in the story. Yeah. And, and I probably can't even identify where they are you know, from one season to the next right. by just seeing a random episode. Yeah. Because so little actually changed from the start to the end of the series. Yeah. And it's just like everyday life. I also think one thing that was made me enjoy it so much is like, we all know people like they talk about like the close talker or something like that, <laughs> but like you don't say that out loud, but they talked about it. So it was like the stuff that was in your head, they're not supposed to say something about. Yeah. Or the lady with the man hands. That's what I was yeah. talking about. <laughs> never say that. I mean, the number of it. times that I talk about the low talker, where I'm like, oh, gotta be careful. He's a low talker. I mean, I had, I ruptured an eardrum and I couldn't hear out of one of my ears. And so I knew I couldn't sit by this guy because he's a low talker. I was like, I'll never be able to hear what he's saying. Because so, I don't want to agree to wear a puffy shirt. I mean, you can just go on and on. That's the best part about that show is like the consequences of a low talker or the man hands or any of the things that they did were always something sort of mundane and also hilarious, like a puffy shirt or something like that. It made you feel like you're just like part of their friend group. Yeah. Like you had inside jokes with them and had a restaurant you ate at every day. I don't know. It just felt really familiar and fun. There was also just like the self-deprecating humor, which wasn't super common, but especially with like George. I mean, the guy clearly hates himself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and he sets himself up for failure over and over again. And you know someone who does that, where you're just like, oh, he just can't catch a break, but he does it to himself. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many times in my life I've had the instinct to think like, I just need to do whatever the opposite is of what I would normally do. And it's going to work out because of George. Because of George. It's true. Every instinct I have is wrong. And the opposite must be right. <laughs> It's true. I even have at work, I don't know why, but I have this group where I work and then I come home and um, my boss wanted to meet my husband and it really caused me some stress. And uh, my husband was like, what's the problem? I was like, worlds are colliding. Professional Laura and personal Laura are colliding, which is like relationship George and friend George were colliding. I was like, I get that. I get what that stress is. Okay. So off the top of your head, uh, and I get that I didn't give you this question in advance. So I'm not going to hold you to these answers, although they will be on the internet for the rest of time. (laughs) Top five episodes. I would have to throw in there the one with the rules. It's a little more risque, but the one where Jerry and Elaine try to have friends with benefits. And I think their description of the rules, I love that part. (laughs) The deal or something. They make a deal and they sit on the couch. Yes. (laughs) If we go in there for a while... Do whatever. But this cannot be disturbed because (laughs) this is good. Yeah. We just want to take this 
and, and add, add that. that. <laughs> this can't be disturbed. Exactly. I love that one. I would say also maybe number one for me, I know I'm jumping around, but I think number one for me is when George gives where he's going to be the importer exporter where he's scamming the system to get more unemployment and he gives Jerry's phone number. Yes. As Vandalay Industries. And <laughs> and Kramer answers the phone. He's like, Vandal, what? And George comes running out of the bathroom with that with his newspaper and his pants off. <laughs> and Jerry says, And you wanna be my And you wanna be my latex salesman. That's right. <laughs> oh, I love that one He's, too. George is always doing that, like, I'm an architect. Or, I just don't like, see architecture coming from you. <laughs> Yeah, that one's good, too, where he's pretending to be an architect in the building. I also like the one, again, potentially a little risque, where George and this cleaning lady engage in relations. And George is like, I mean, if anyone had told me that that sort of thing would be frowned upon, I mean, I got to be honest. <laughs> George. And Elaine with the not a square to spare. And she's in the bathroom. I love that episode, too. <laughs> and the one where their meal takes forever. I forget. I'm oh, not great. I'm going to Sky Burger. I love that's that is yes, that's definitely top five. I mean, it, that's what I think of when I think of Seinfeld. I think yes. of that episode. Yeah, because that's just like real life. I, I think of that, and I think of Kramer's coffee table book about coffee, coffee table. table book. I also love when he installed the food disposal in the shower so he could do more things in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> I love the one where Jerry meets Keith Hernandez and the, the JFK and the episode. Yeah. And then you have that footage that's like referencing the JFK yes. thing. And then he ends up dating Elaine, you know, and Jerry's jealous and like trying to dress up to impress him and stuff. Every time I see Keith Hernandez on the baseball on ESPN, I think of the magic loogie. Yes, same. Oh, so good. You know, one of the things I loved about this show, and I can't remember the year this was, but we got AOL for Christmas and Vinny was over and we were setting up an email address. And I remember thinking like, who's going to use email for anything? Like, this is dumb. Nobody I know even has email. So my email address for years was George's passcode of Bosco because I was like, who's going to use this? And so forever, my email was Bosco at AOL because like there was George's passcode. I thought it was funny. And even as I was like applying for jobs in college, I'm like Bosco at AOL. I was like, I'm going to have to grow up now. This, <laughs> this internet thing evidently is going to catch on. So I guess I should commit. I, I can probably actually, I've got worse than that. I've had so many email addresses in my life. And I remember in the late nineties, around the time that Ricky Martin was blowing up, having Levita Lucas at hotmail.com. as <laughs> <laughs> So you're not alone. Who thought the internet was going to take off like this? For real. <laughs> Such a great show. So real quick, one last question. If you each had a particular character on the show that you most resonated with, who would it be? I probably feel most like George most of the time. For all the things we were talking about earlier, like the self-deprecation, how you doubt your own decision-making abilities. You do things thinking this is the right direction to go. And then you're like, mm, maybe I shouldn't have done this. Like... I don't know. I'd say George for me. Vinny, how about you? Maybe Jerry, because I'm like constantly observing little things about people like we talked about before that I find just fascinating or amusing. And like, I will tell them to people like Laura because she will laugh. <laughs> it makes me feel funny. 
But uh, I think too, I'm a little cautious, like in general, and usually following the rules or, or like, and what I'm supposed to do. But I also like can be talked into things to help people out, especially, you know, I feel like Jerry's always getting pulled into something like investing in stocks or going to help somebody do something because he's just like, oh, all right. You know, and he starts out like, no, there's no way I'm going to do that. <laughs> And they're like, please, like you have to. And he's like, oh, okay. So I guess. Yeah, I think that would be basically the same answer for me in that like, I know I have some Costanza traits, but for me, you know, the Jerry piece of just sort of always noticing things around you that maybe other people don't, the difference being that I don't point them out. Usually I just sort of shoot on them in my head. So yeah, (laughs) incredible show. Thank you both so much for being on. And I look forward to having you both again in the future. We'd love to be on. Shortly after chatting with Vinny and Laura, I had the chance to talk to some other Seinfeld-loving friends here in Houston and ask them all the same questions. Mr. and Mrs. Nate Horton and Charlie Grantham. Nate and Charlie, welcome to 30 Pop. So good to have you on. Thank you. So now y'all aren't even 30 years old, right? Right. Okay. So you weren't around, you weren't paying any attention when this show came out. When did you Mm -hmm. fall in love with Seinfeld? So for me, I don't have like an exact memory. It was just always on. Like my parents are huge fans, my family. So for me, it was like every day, basically Seinfeld was on. When you were how old? Like since I was born. Okay, like, so yeah. just your whole life, you just grew up with the show. <laughs> yeah, like okay. I thought everyone watched as much as I did. And yeah, like every single day, like dinner, we ate dinner in front of the TV watching Seinfeld. Like nice. we didn't eat. Sorry, mom, if you're listening, but we ate <laughs> on the couch watching Seinfeld every night. So. Nice, love yeah. that. What was it about the show for you, Nate, that drew you in? Because it's such an odd show. It really is. I think that's what it was, that it was just so laid back to watch it. You don't have to get like emotionally invested and you could just I don't know it was just always fun and shocking and yeah Charlie what about you the characters I mean like the four main characters but really the characters that kind of come and go like Mm -hmm. the yada 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 Mm -hmm. the close talker the low talker like literally I guess it's just so relatable because that's how I am too. I I might be that way because of the show. Like I'm always like, oh my gosh, like I, I I'll be like they don't they don't finish their thoughts or like I'll give people names like that and I might be that way because of the show. But yeah, the characters just are the best. Okay, so yeah. one of the things I asked in the last interview, I'll ask each of you also. Is there a particular character or which character in particular do you most deeply resonate with and why? I don't know. I go between like Elaine and George. <laughs> like I hate to admit that I'm like George, but I think I am if I'm being honest. Tell yeah. me why Elaine. I don't just like the particularities like of how like she broke up with someone because of um, like over pie like once or just like little things like that. Like that's I mean, I'm I'm a lot like that, too. And the her like get out like where she shoves you know like yes. I, I mean I do that too and again it could be because like I literally watch a show like every day of my life so I could have picked it up yeah. you know from her but um yeah just like anything like that when she stopped off oh my gosh this is so embarrassing to admit but it's true when she stopped off when her boyfriend was in a car accident and she like stopped and got candy for she was already at the movie theater, oh, yeah, yeah. she grabbed candy and he was like you heard that it was an accident and got candy first and I don't know. I do stuff like that. Have you done that specific thing? <laughs> Not specifically, but just things like that that yeah. I wouldn't want to like admit. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's funny you mentioned the her like shoving the get out thing. Mm. I feel like over the course of the series that just got more and more violent. Like, <laughs> it's like way more enthusiastic yeah. about shoving people. Nate, what about you? Any particular character? It's funny that you ask because it's actually something my friends and I have talked about before. So I think the decision we came to is that ideally I think of myself as Jerry because mm-hmm. I like to be sort of the central focus of a friend group. Mm-hmm. But in practice, I do more of like George type things really? of like being kind of skeevy and selfish <laughs> yeah. and kind of stupid. And then at my craziest, I'm like Kramer where mm-hmm. I'm just like unpredictable. Yeah. Bust through the yeah. door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like uh, they're all like caricatures of themselves. Yeah. And so they never fit in with the groups that they're interacting with outside of Jerry's apartment. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like I sort of would resonate with the fact that like I was always kind of different from everybody else. But like when I was with my own friend group, that's when I would show my true personality. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Okay. So just off the top of your head, same thing I asked in the last interview top five episodes. What comes to mind? The Christmas card. That is one of my favorite ones. Oh, with the, with the, with nip, the nipple. <laughs> She's like, Nana and Papa. <laughs> I forgot about that one. That's one of my favorites. For me, I don't know the name of the episode, but I, I don't know. I always think of the scenes in the bakeries. So like the marble rye, when he steals the marble yes. rye yeah. from the ladies. And then the so black good. and white cookie from the other episode yes. with the babka. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one's good. The junior mint one, too. What's the junior mint one? The, uh, where they're like observing a surgery. Oh and gosh! Camera, and, you want to <laughs> and he's like shoving it, and then it ends up falling like into the the patient who was Elaine's boyfriend, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh my yeah, gosh! That's a really good. It's one. It's making me want to watch the whole series. And it, yeah. end, it ends up saving the the guy's life. Yeah, it saved his life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it released thirty years ago today, as of this recording. Thirty years old Seinfeld. Thank you guys so much for yeah. coming on and for just sharing your love for the show. Thank, Thank you for having you. us. Of course. Such an incredible show. I rewatched the entire series last year, and honestly, I just might have to do it again soon. Huge thanks to Nate, Charlie, Vani, Laura, Mason, and my mom, Becky, for being a part of this episode. As a reminder, next week I'll almost certainly take the week off as I'm gearing up for a busy five days of travel. But rest assured, friends and mom, I will not leave when Harry met Sally out. If you're in Houston, please mark your calendars for Tuesday, July 16th at 7 p.m. when we'll gather for the second of our new monthly 30 Pop Trivia Nights at Cafeza. Remember that you can go ahead and rack up some bonus points for your team of up to four by sharing the event on social media, subscribing to the show and leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and showing up decked out in some sort of 80s swag. It's going to be an absolute blast, friends. Thanks so much for listening, as always. I'll be back in two weeks with episode 22. So until then, don't forget, these pretzels are making me thirsty. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1989 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>